Are you thinking about starting a podcast but don't know where to start? Let me take a second to tell you about Anchor by Spotify. It's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast across a plethora of listening platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the big ones. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, completely free. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, do yourself a favor and check out anchor.fm or download the app to get started. Hey everyone, if you're enjoying Inquiries of Our Reality, do me a favor and drop me a review or rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. While you're at it, come join the Discord or Telegram groups for the show. If you haven't already, don't forget to follow me across social media to stay updated on the show. If you'd like to support the show, you can subscribe to my Patreon for just $5 a month, where you will receive early access to Inquiries of Our Reality, Big Dumb Inquiries, and Bizarre Encounters. You can also support the show by donating on Anchor or Ko-fi, which will help me upgrade equipment and hopefully eventually do this full-time so I can put out even more awesome content for you guys. If you guys want some t-shirts or other awesome merchandise for Increase of Our Reality, Big Dumb Increase, or Bizarre Encounters, stop by my Teespring store and get yourself something nice. If you're a creator or a listener, come check out Open Minds Media. We have an awesome community of great people who would love to meet you. From our featured creator podcast feed, to chat rooms, to even help questions, this is the place for you. For more information on the community, the podcast feed, and to stay updated on all the new things coming, check us out on social media, and all their links are available on our link tree. And last but not least, if anyone is interested in being a guest on the show, sponsoring the show, has a topic they want covered on the show, or you feel you can contribute to the show in any way, shape, or form, shoot me a message on social media, or feel free to email me at inquiriesofourrealitypodcast at outlook.com. All the links I mentioned are in the show description. Just tap or click the link tree link to be directed. Or remember, L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash Increase of Our Reality Podcast. Thank you so much, everyone. I appreciate all of you, and I couldn't be doing this without your support. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality, one topic at a time. This is Inquiries of Our Reality with Shane Jones. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 70th episode of Inquiries of Our Reality. Today with me, I have Miguel Connor from Aeon Byte. How's it going today, man? Doing good. Thanks for having me on. Uh, awesome to have you on. Uh, so I guess for anybody that isn't aware of you or what you do, uh, why don't you give them a little well-rounded picture of who you are? I uh, basically call myself a heretic. I uh, am the host of Aeon Byte Gnostic Radio, which is uh, an ongoing podcast. Really been only doing it full-time since late 2018, and it uh, deals with uh, ancient Gnosticism and Hermeticism, also how it impacts modern culture, how to make it meaningful to modern culture. So, and uh, the podcast also includes, I've written some books, articles, uh, educational videos, small courses, all that. So everything that people might be interested in Gnosticism and Hermeticism and their tributaries, I would be the place to go. And uh, yeah, that's not saying much. I mean, Gnosticism is sort of, as much as I'd like to think that it's 
more relevant than ever. It's uh, still the niche of niche spiritualities, if you would. So for anybody that isn't familiar with the word Gnosticism, how would you describe it to them? Well, Gnosticism comes from the Greek for uh, <clears throat> knowing or knowing. And um, there is a, a concept called Gnosis, the direct experience with the divine. The ironic thing is even though Gnosis is... Uh, always attached to Gnosticism. It's the one thing that's really not exclusive to Gnosticism. The Neoplatonists, uh, even Christians believed in Gnosis. I mean, who doesn't want to have a direct experience with the divine? The Gnostics did separate with many of the perennialists uh, because their idea wasn't just to have an experience with the divine. Gnosticism is a altered state, shamanistic type of religion. Uh, some say it's the sort of uh, parasite religion that appears in that happens in christianity judaism as kabbalah islam as sufism and so forth so it's sort of the the shamanistic side the one for those who thirst for an interior experience or an altered state of their consciousness but to the gnostics especially the classical gnostics that would include a realization that the reality we live is uh, illusionary, not even illusionary, but more of a code. The Gnostics never said this was a false reality, that it was a fake reality, as my friend Gordon White says, that there are forces that have created this universe, uh, sort of like a, a computer game, if you would, and here we are trapped. And within each one of us lies something which the Gnostics call the divine spark. You could call it consciousness, the soul. Uh, whatever you want to call it, and these beings that have trapped us in this uh, simulation, which the Gnostics called the Archons, headed by being called the Demiurge, who they often associated with the God of the Old Testament, are feeding on our energy and as well making us slaves. And through a sort of awakening by the stimulation of some sort of Gnostic revealer or apostle of light, as they called, who uh, could be Jesus, could be Buddha, Zoroaster, Mary Magdalene, and so forth. We could awaken to our true nature, which is higher than these uh, stellar wardens or fallen angels that have trapped us into this world and make contact with our original home beyond the stars to this uh, supreme consciousness, or as the Gnostics often called it, a, an alien god. Gnosticism has a very like sci-fi sensibility, as Eric Davis said. And we could commune with this God and further awaken until we could find ways to escape and bring down this black iron prison, as Philip K. Dick called the uh, the computer model that we're now trapped in. So that's basically sort of an, an elevator uh, pitch, summary, whatever you want to call it. There are other features of Gnosticism, including um, belief in reincarnation, uh, a stressing of a uh, divine feminine and uh, yeah, other features we can discuss if we want. Uh, I'm sure your listeners, a lot of them have probably caught on to uh, such movies as the matrix or the TV show Westworld or the movie, the Truman show, or even the first half of WandaVision or several other uh, pop cultural expressions that are uh, definitely Gnostic. 
So I guess before we start getting into that stuff, uh, what sparked your interest into digging into these topics? Was it personal experiences? Was it psychedelic experiences? Or was it just something that you just kind of were drawn to? I would say it was a slow burn. I mean, I was one of those people who, as a kid, never really fit anywhere, always looking for the bigger questions of reality. Uh, what happens after death? What's the nature of evil? Blah, blah, blah. So throughout my life, I uh, felt I was always both lost and seeking at the same time. Uh, you know, the kind of kid that played, for my generation, played a lot of Dungeons & Dragons, played a lot of heavy metal, smoked a lot of dope, uh, read a lot of weird books and comic books, and sort of bounced around here and there. And my bouncing around included trying different religions. I was raised Roman Catholic, although my mom was very ecumenical. Dad was an atheist, but not like the new atheist, the classic atheist where he just li he lived without God or church. That's what the atheists were generations ago. Um, so in my curiosity, I tried different things. I went to mosques. I went to ashrams. I became a born-again Christian. I tried New Age. I mean, you name it, and I sort of tried it in what I call my spiritual hitchhiking. But nothing seemed to satisfy my uh, my I, my search of what is evil, what's the nature of being a human being, what happens after we die. All these religions I felt sort of sold out in the end. And slowly, gradually, I started learning about Gnosticism, and that seemed to uh, satisfy me because they didn't play around. They were pretty uh, staunch in how what reality was, the nature of evil, suffering. And it just made sense to me, their uh, philosophy, their aesthetics, and their ideology. Just a fit for me. But to each his own. So uh, <clears throat> kind of going into what you said about like the simulation kind of theory concept, um, what what do you feel in your own life and experiences has made you like feel that way, that that is the way that it is? And uh, for anybody that, say, it doesn't believe in it whatsoever, what are some like convincing factors that you could present to them that they would start believing in that, possibly? Well, I would say, uh, first of all, the universe is sort of a joke. Uh, I know everybody's programmed to think that there's some harmonious Lion King circle of life. But when you start looking at it, we live in a universe where every creature has to, almost every creature depends on the suffering of another Life form, life is short. Uh, suffering, again, is uh, endemic to everything, as Buddha said. Uh, it's just a universe that kind of doesn't make sense. It's like there was some sort of intelligence that created. you think they were, could do a better job. And, uh, yeah, a universe of viruses, a universe where humanity is always on the brink of extinction, uh, a universe of hunger, and, yes, there is a beautiful holy side to it but there's also this absurd side to it and uh it just didn't seem to make sense from a philosophical uh, level and of course many of the existentialists and absurdists and uh, other philosophers from Nietzsche to Schopenhauer to Emil Cioran and others would agree with that and the Gnostics have been called existentialists very much or cri Christian existentialists like Kierkegaard so from a f philosophical level, this is sort of an absurd universe that uh, whoever, if there was, if it was randomness, then what's the point? But if it was some divine being, then you, uh, 
we got a lot of explaining to do, Lucy, as the saying goes. <laughs> and then from just mystical insights and also reading other mystics, from the Hindus to the Buddhists to others, there's the idea of the illusionary universe. But uh, then there's the idea that uh, perhaps we are trapped. I think uh, if we are honest as human beings, this place does a lot, feel a lot like a prison. It does feel like there is something uh, wrong with this world, as Morpheus said. You don't know what it is, but it's there like a splinter in your mind driving you mad. And this is really not that uncommon with religions. There's always a sense of alien, you know, abandonment, being, feeling like an alien in your own world. It's certainly the artist way, as uh, Stefan Heller said, every serious artist is already half, is already half agnostic because as you dig down into yourself, you dig down into the nature of reality. You see how brittle and flowing it is. It's, uh, yeah, it's a very odd universe. And uh, as far as the simulation, it seems that science has caught up to what the Gnostics had said. I mean, it was Elon Musk who was, you know, cited a lot of uh, scientists, including Nick Borstrom, who's a physicist from Sweden, and uh, who came to the conclusion that there is about a 90% chance or 99% chance that we are. Uh, living in a simulation, there's a 1% chance that this is not a uh, simulation. And this has become very prevalent with a lot of idealist philosophers, uh, people in the physics community, and so forth. So the, the idea of a simulation makes sense. It is scientific. And if there is a simulation, then there has to be a coder, right? A code means that somebody has written it, somebody has sent it out, and somebody has listened to it. And somehow this universe has listened to a certain code of the simulation, and here we are. So I would say those are different streams, scientific, philosophical, common sense. Uh, you can see how the Gnostic worldview isn't as crazy as it was called 2,000 years ago by the church. So um, what do you believe personally is like the reason for this simulation to exist? Good question. Uh, obviously it's, it's hard to tell down here on the ground, especially when we're trapped in this monkey suit, but, uh, it seems, uh, I would agree with the Gnostics that as humans, we do have something that is very unique to the universe. As, uh, Terry Pratchett said, we are where the fallen angel meets the rising ape. We have the ability to, uh, we have the ability for a metacognition, for introspection, for um, for abstract thinking, which you really don't find anywhere else in the animal kingdom. Let's not get into alien life forms or angels. That's a different topic. But we are very unique. And uh, it almost seems like we don't belong in this world. So it's uh, pretty logical to think that perhaps we are, again, as the Gnostics said, and they they were simply, you might say, borrowing from the Sumerians with Enki creating humanity, or even the ancient Greeks with uh, Zeus telling Prometheus to create humanity as slaves, as part of, uh, as, as caretakers of nature, that this is what we would be. So I would agree with that. Now, uh, the exact mechanics, that's something that the Gnostics certainly debated. It could be, uh, it ranged from there was some sort of cosmic cataclysm where, uh, as uh, St uh, scholar Stephen Davis said, God went crazy and became us. He had a glitch 
and lost part of his divine essence down into the chaos. It could be as simple as God in his um, eternal exploration of what it is, of what it encompasses, because at one point the unity decided to know itself and the unity had to become a multiplicity. And we are part of the multiplicity, sort of uh, far away from the original source, trying to understand its different its different aspects, including suffering, pain, and humanity. So there would uh, there would be a range. I tend to be more into uh, we were on purposely trapped, like uh, you know, the Nephilim and some other angels in ancient times sort of took advantage of humanity. So we hear a lot of different. Uh like hints to these concepts in media, like you were like you were talking about a little bit earlier. Uh, what do you think is the reasoning for that? Do you think it's intentionally supposed to be to wake people up? Or do you think that it's uh, something altogether where it's almost like you have to tell people what's happening, even if they don't understand what's happening? Uh, that's a good question. I wouldn't know what to say. I mean, it seems again, if you're, a, if any artist is already half agnostic, and since technology has really caught up to uh, Gnostic philosophy, it just makes sense it's going to express itself out there in the mass media because it just seems like such a such a great saga and it seems so real and it seems so true. You could also say simply that uh, one of the main proponents of Gnostic thought was Philip K. Dick and Philip K. Dick uh as many of your listeners probably know, was the mind behind Blade Runner and Total Recall, Minority Report, uh, a whole bunch of movies that came out. And beyond those movies, he was very influential to many young people in the 60s and 70s, especially many in the fringes, many artists. So his influence, and not even just Philip K. Dick, uh, Roger Zelazny, and many of the really, uh, you might call cyberpunk or 60s-type uh spiritual sci-fi writers were very influential and they of course grew up and they're now making movies and creating tv shows which are again very influenced by philip k dick or they're very influenced by blade runner and ridley scott and some of the other movies that came out that really formed uh you know younger generations uh do you think some of it is intentionally hidden messages and if so what would some of those hidden messages be that even people that are into these concepts might completely look over I don't think you can look over any messages. I can't think of any examples. I mean, um, there's a famous one in The Matrix where, again, which is right there, a Gnostic gospel in itself, step by step, but there are many. For example, he uh, he puts out his passport and it expires September 11th, 2001, and the movie came out in 1999. But that's always going to be the big question in the we might call the synchromistic uh, movement is is this sort of the collective unconscious kind of giving out hints and projecting it out into the world? Is this higher forces trying to give us hints, or is this people behind the scenes trying to give us hints? I mean, I've read a lot, and even some of the the great researchers still don't know what was inside the mind of, let's say, Stanley Kubrick or somebody like that. We just, uh, there are guesses, you know, he was on, he was part, he was on the light side. He was on the dark side. The, 
the elite like to mock people, so they like to leave things right there for everybody to see. The best place to hide something is in plain sight. No, no, no. These are the forces of good giving us hints. So it's uh, it's. I don't think anybody really knows. So going into the whole simulation concept again, do you? What do you believe is outside of the simulation? And that being said, also when somebody passes away, would they be? outside of the simulation at that point or would they still be inside the simulation but in a different like realm within the within the same simulation well the gnostics are definitely the inheritors of the ancient egyptian mysteries they thrived in alexandria evidence points to and during greco-roman times as uh the egyptian mysteries were starting to die out the gnostics and the hermeticists were the ones who kind of the baton was handed out to them. So, and there's so many, you know, clues to it. It's not even funny. Like the fact when the Gnostics are describing many of the archons or the gods, they always give them animal heads. That's a dead giveaway that it's originally Egyptian, right? And there's all these other clues in the fact that we know that they thrived out of Alexandria, Egypt. Um, so therefore to them, just like the ancient Egyptians, the 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 out of body voyage that you would have in a mystical effect. Remember, I said they were shamanistic. They believe in altered states of mind to explore higher worlds or go deep within into your soul, which is the same thing. I mean, as above, so below; as outside, so inside. If we are in the universe, the universe is within us. The macro, the and the micro that Hermes talked about. So they believed in leaving the body or your uh, normative egoic self and taking these journeys. At this, and these journeys would be the same journey that would happen to a person once they died. I mean, the map of the astral plane is the same. Same levels, same beings guarding these levels. The Egyptians believed in these guards. So did the Gnostics. So an individual would have to cross these places. And if you were armed with the right, with the pure soul, the right magical passwords or prayers, you could go through higher and make contact with this alien god or the one of Plato, if you would, most individuals obviously would not make it high enough and they would be cast down into another form. I myself have had mystical experiences, mostly with doing ayahuasca with Santo Daime, and I have been on flights and I've had different experiences, but I'm well aware that your cultural background is going to affect the way you see the outer world. You know, some people will see angels, some people will see jinn, some people will see devas if they're Persian, some people will see, I don't know, aliens or Captain Kirk. You know, these things take the shape of what you know. The true shape of what's outside is beyond comprehension, at least beyond human comprehension, if you would. So having your own personal experiences with this, um, like, what what's the story of the experiences? Like, what did, what did you experience? What did you see? What did you feel like you brought back with you? Oh my God, there's so many. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't even. Yeah, it's, God, I don't know. I, I don't think I want to share here. Yeah, I, I I don't think I'd rather share. I'd rather I like to share on my show because I have sort of control over it. But um, I can say that in one time I saw this being called Abraxas, which is a Gnostic god. And uh, he was sort of this giant void at the top of the universe that both was controlling and swallowing the entire universe. And it was massive. I think I'd been going up the heavens for 
for years and I saw this being and it was uh, beyond terrifying. And I was like, shit, this is the being ruling the universe. It's like uh, Azatoth in the Lovecraft mythos, this uh, blind god. And then I came down um, and all this weird stuff happened. But that was one of my experiences. Uh, but yeah, it's something I'd rather talk about on my show. So for anybody that uh, isn't familiar with who Abraxas is, uh, what's like the story on Abraxas and who is Abraxas and what is what does Abraxas represent? Well, that's a big mystery. I mean, it's like, what did a guest tell me, Steve D? What makes Abraxas and Baphomet so fascinating is that they are basically very mysterious, unfinished gods that we're supposed to finish together, that there's so little to know about. But that really strikes the fashion, really fascinates magicians and those in the occult. In fact, uh, when I think it was Pete Carroll, when he was forming Chaos Magic, he said that Abraxas came in second place, but Baphomet became sort of the patron of Chaos Magic. So, so in ancient times, it's hard to say what Abraxas was. I mean, these are being depicted usually as the head of a rooster, body of a man, snake legs, uh, very much maybe like the the Titan Typhon. But it's hard to tell what he is because we have conflicting we have conflicting versions of him. He originally was talked about by Basilides or Basilides, who was a Gnostic sage in the second century in Alexandria. And in Basilides system it was pretty wild because according to Basilides there were three hundred and sixty five dimensions. And we were at the bottom of the 365th dimension. This dimension is ruled by Yahweh, the Old Testament God. So imagine what the other gods would look like or how, what the other levels are. But at the top of this uh, 365 dimensions was Abraxas. Some church fathers claimed that Basilides said that Abraxas was an evil being. Some said, no, he was actually the alien god. So there are conflicting rumors, but the Gnostics certainly took him very seriously because he does appear in their texts, very ambiguous, but he does appear in a lot of magical gems. And these gems were usually used to uh, protect from Abraxas because uh, the Gnostics knew that some of these beings, it was almost better that they ignore you because they were so vast and powerful. And that's why they had gems with the Archangel Michael or or the Old Testament God. They wanted these beings to sort of pass them by, although there are instances of some, like, uh, there's some guy in the, what, 4th century, and there's a pandemic in, I think, uh, London, and he's he's invoking Abraxas to, to protect him from the pandemic. Uh, it didn't work out, because this Abraxas that he was invoking didn't, uh, didn't give him a vaccine or anything like that. But uh, so Abraxas became sort of a, a part of the magical tradition of the Gnostics and beyond throughout history. But again, this is a being we know very little of. There's a <clears throat> occult book from late antiquity called the Eighth Book of Moses. And in this book, it says Abraxas is the creator of the universe, but he creates the universe by laughing. He just keeps laughing and the universe is created like saying that the universe is just a joke, which the Gnostics would certainly agree to an extent. So, but yeah, it's been Jung, Carl Jung, who was very influenced by Abraxas, by, by Gnosticism of the ideas of Carl Jung are found. The, the foundation is uh, Gnosticism. He talked about Abraxas in his 
uh, Red Book and Black Book, his exploration into his own journey to finding his soul into the other realms. And at first he seems to say Abraxas is a positive thing, but as more of his works have been published, it seems he says Abraxas is actually a negative being. He's a, I associate him with karma as a sort of Western version of karma because he's the one that keeps everything suppressed in this universe. And he's the one that makes, you might say, everything work, sustains everything. But part of his job is to keep all of us in a state of uh, eternal ignorance, eternal forgetfulness. But again, many variations, complex gods. So Abraxas, do you believe that he is he, she, whatever it may be, is uh, possibly the creator? Or do you have a different concept on it? And if so, like at this current point in your life, like who or what do you believe might be the creator? I don't know, but he's insane. That's all I have to say. It could be, I don't think it's a praxis, but whoever created this world needs a lot of help because uh, you and I could have created a better world where, you know, we, we live off of sunlight and there's no wars and our cats don't die and our dogs live forever, you know, a better universe. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but I mean, if the universe was created for experiences, um, I mean, that would almost be needed, though, that you need to have the ups to have the downs, because if everything was up and great all the time, then it would almost become the neutral at that point, And then you wouldn't really have good experiences because it would just be the standard. So it's almost like, you know, you need to have the bad to have the good in order to make both things have meaning. That's a good argument. I can't argue with that one, except the only thing I would say is that in my all in my journeys, altered states of being in certain dream. Maybe there was a time where there was a brief feeling like when I was looking at my children or looking at a sunset, I was washed with this amazing sense of bliss and oneness, something that it only lasted very briefly, but was so powerful, so sublime, so moving. And this is the kind of feeling I know is up there beyond this world because I felt it. I think everybody's felt it in their lives. And my argument would be, well, if you give me two seconds of that feeling, give me one minute of that feeling, and I swear I'll never do wrong again. I know what's good. I don't need to know what's bad. (laughs) So uh, that would be my argument against it, that once you feel the true oneness of the universe, you don't need these lessons down here, do you? And I know, you know, I certainly believe that while we're down here, each one of us has a mission. Each one of us has a purpose. Nobody's better than anybody else. Our souls are all on a quest. If we listen to our souls, not our egos, to heal the universe, the tikumalan of the Kabbalists, uh, you might say, the the gathering of the sparks, the making the the universe a uh, to bring out the light of the universe, the holiness, and and wash away the darkness. Each one of us has that mission. So, yes, while we're here on the ground, I mean, you can bitch about not being somewhere else, but we all have a mission, and that is a good mission to have. And we all play a part in uh, the rescue operation of Sophia, as the Gnostics would call it, because the Gnostics, to them, Sophia was the wisdom part of God that was here in this universe trying to help us make a better place so going off of that also um do you believe that it's possible that there could be multiple creator gods who created different components to the universe or do you think that there may be just one specific creator god and these other gods that we know of may theoretically be part of the simulation 
in order to have an action to push things to go a certain way, you know? Yeah, it's possible. I mean, uh, the one thing that the Gnostics did is they they had all these models for the universe and how many archons they were, how many fallen angels. Some said that all these archons were just aspects of the demiurge, the 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 creator God, and he was just manifesting in each one of them. Like in the Matrix, you know, like the agents can manifest in every human, that that's what the creator God was. So they had different and how many levels of reality. I talked about facilities. Some had less than 365. So, so they had variations because uh, every human has a different experience. And <clears throat> all of us, you know, the old saying, if if we all see one, if five people see a car wreck, there's only one car wreck, but there's going to be five comp- different variations. There's going to be tweaks. And none of those, those five people are not wrong, but reality tends to be a little more complicated than we might to think. Imagine the heavenly realms. I mean, even in the Kabbalah, <clears throat> you have, uh, people are used to like the Sephiroth, the tree of life. But in the original Kabbalah, the tree of life was very, it changed all the time, depending on the practitioner and their vision. So it's, uh, I know there's, as a, as a, a Gnostic priest said very wisely, I've never met a, I've never met an archon, but I can feel their presence. I can feel fate. I can feel destiny. I can feel my bones getting older. I can feel in my life when I'm almost there and things slip away or I'm getting close to a better, to turning the corner and it seems the universe just throws all this shit at me. You know, you can almost, you can feel those archons on you. So, um, kind of going into still one of the simulation theory concept, uh, what's for lack of better terms, do you believe that all consciousness is the same or do you think that there's like NPCs, so to speak, where they're more, they're not the same type of consciousness, but they're here to make things happen? That's a good question. I'd rather not think they are. I mean, I know in some of the Gnostic texts, it becomes, it really is a choice if you want to get out or not. But I think in one text, Jesus says there are people who just, they keep recycling into the universe and they don't want to learn. They don't want to do the heroic work. They want to, they want to become more enlightened. And eventually they just completely lose whatever divine residue they have in them. And they just become like robots. So that's a possibility. But I would assume that every person you meet is some sort of a, is a form of consciousness. Now, whether they were thrown in your life or some sort of mission or anything like that, yeah, it's very possible. I wouldn't be surprised. So kind of switching gears a little bit, um, going and back to- too. I mean, remember, most of the world is asleep. They're ignorant. So they are in thrall of the demiurge. They might have the divine spark, but it does. But they're conscious. They're so suppressed in their meat sacks that they might as well be NPCs. I know I've gone through life where I, I wanted a house and, you know, a yard and I wanted material shit. And, you know, all this stuff, I bought the propaganda of the universe, and I was pretty much an NPC. So and then I woke th- up. Do you think there's an intentional force that tries to keep people from progressing to the next level? And if so, a lot of the, uh, like, trans-movement concepts kind of remind me of, like, the gods um, with the multiple different pieces type of concept. Do you believe that that may also be something that's been intentionally placed to push people away from the spiritual path? Or do you think it's something that makes them more godlike to push them more towards the spiritual path? What what has been placed in there? What 
the like the transgender movement oh well i think something we have to be cognizant about and unfortunately we lived in this sort of divide and conquer dualistic times is that everything casts a shadow anything can be weaponized so i mean look at christianity that's been weaponized we see democracy weaponized we see great concepts weaponized maybe we see capitalism weaponized we see socialism weaponized we see that everything has a shadow a dark side to it so it's um i think for example the idea of the androgynous being the primal man that comes from plato and that's the idea of this being that has both genders that encompasses everything and that's the great symbol that we are complex beings but we can individuate as jung said and bring it all together and bring it all into one consciousness and become supreme i mean that's the whole point that the gnostics said and even the you know plato says i think it's in the timaeus or is it the Republic, where they, once the hermaphrodite is unified, he becomes more powerful than Zeus. And you have that in alchemy, the the union of all the ap- opposites, the sun and the moon and everything to become supreme. So the idea of this sort, and the Gnostics played a lot with these uh, andro- androgynous concepts. You would have beings like uh, Jesus would appear to somebody as a mother and a father at once, and these high-level aeons, which are the high beings above the archons, would have different, would be both male and female, and could switch and all that. But I think what they were showing is that, yes, you're supposed to unify and transcend all of these forces that are within you. As Jung said, all men have an anima, a female side, all women have an anima, a male side. That's But if we can unite them and find harmony, that's when we can transcend it. The problem is when people identify way too much with uh, one or the other, or they get stuck, or they think this is nirvana, you know, heaven on earth is I've reached this, when it's it's a continued exploration. But yeah, I would say the idea of... uh, of uh, transcending is important, but I think uh, I would honestly say that it's been weaponized. I mean, what did, uh, uh, what's his name? He wrote the book, he wrote the book, A True Believer, but he always said every great cause starts as a movement, turns into a business, and degenerates into a racket. So I think a lot of these movements today are way past the business. They've turned into rackets. And I think uh, they're they're done. Again, everything has a shadow side and everything will be weaponized against you. So um, that's unfortunately, that's that's the reality of this world we live in. There is no purity. I could talk about weaponized Gnosticism or shadow side. It's uh, just the way the world is. So kind of going back into what you were saying earlier about the whole idea of like consciousness being a creator being that split itself into many different versions of itself. Do you think it's possible that the whole transgender movement and the whole idea of how women are becoming more masculine and males are becoming more feminine, do you think it's might be a sign of like the, the universal consciousness starting to like come back together possibly? It's possible, but I don't see it simply because I don't see any metaphysical spiritual side to it. I mean, an introspective side. I think the way we get out of this uh, problem today is we have to look inward. 
and we have to find a new way of wonder, metaphysical wonder of seeing the universe. As long as you keep it on a physical level, I don't think it's going to work out. But I think there are hints and thrusts of this. I mean, it was, you know, even even Alexander Dugan, you know, uh, Putin's philosopher and this mystic, and he's known to be extremely right-wing. I mean, he's even a fascist. Even he says that uh, gender is a social construct. And he says all you have to do is start thinking about it, and you realize it doesn't mean, obviously, biological parts. I mean, that's science. But gender throughout history has been pretty fluid. But again, without uh, a a society that wants to look inward, that wants to have introspection, that wants to sort of get away from the material world and the material delights, uh, it's not going to work out. I mean... It never has worked out before. Why is it going to work out now? True. I was going to ask too, um, do you believe that it's kind of pulling people more into the materialistic side of things? Because rather than worrying about what's on the inside and working on yourself, it's making it so you're more worried about your physical outer appearance. So in turn, it's making people more material and pushing them away from these concepts more than anything. Bingo. I mean, if you identify too much with a material level, are you going to get to the other levels? I mean, the more... I don't know wiser I get, the less I identify with who I am. I'm sure people will say, well, Miguel's a good heterosexual male, but it's no longer that important to me. I, I'm trying to get beyond that. And uh, I'm not my foot. I've got one foot somewhere else and one foot in this world. So it's uh, these material things touch me less and less. And these labels are almost useless. I don't care about them. I don't care about naming it to other people. It just becomes less relevant into the world. But everybody is so stuck on this identifying yourself with this and that. And and some of these labels no longer make sense. I mean, left, right doesn't make sense. Republican, they don't make sense. Uh, so um, I don't know if we need to get into a spectrum or a complete transformation of consciousness or we need to realign all these things. I don't know. But right now it's just sort of a, it's a disaster. Yeah. You're not wrong. So <laughs> I kind of switching it up a little bit. Um, talking about the one foot in one foot out concept with the material world and like the spiritual world. Uh, what is your views on dreaming? Do you think that it's a connection to a world that's outside and possibly the same world that you'd see in your afterlife? Or do you think that it's something that you create within your own head? Uh, I would say, for the most part, I would agree with you. Dreaming is an altered state of consciousness. But is it in a state where our ego has less control and thus our soul, our true self, our divine spark, whatever you want to call it, communicates and has holds court? Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, is that the soul communicates through symbols, through myths it has a different language and it's a different reality so it confuses our ego when we come out of the dream world but that's where there's so much communication if we could (laughs) part of being introspective which i have learned is writing my dream trying to talk to my dreams or trying to talk to my soul through dream therapy meditation uh, divination tools like the I Ching or the tarot and trying to understand this language because your soul and my soul has all the answers of what our destiny is. It's our daemon. It's the one that knows and it's not bound by time and space, just like our dreams are not bound by time and space, different rules. 
So if we can learn to listen to the language of dreams, we can find out what our destiny is or what we need to work on to be more whole. Having said that, yes, I do think they are definitely, when our ego goes down into the realm of dreams, time and space lapses. So yeah, precognitive dreams are very possible. And also glimpses of the higher worlds are very possible. But for the most part, it's uh, it's an altered state where our soul is trying to communicate with us and tell us, give us a state of the union every night of where we are in relation to the rest of the universe and our own destiny. Do you believe that the uh, universal consciousness or whatever you want to call it also has the ability to communicate with us through our dreams where we would have those experiences of talking to higher powers also through our dreams? Or do you believe that if you are talking to higher powers within your dreams, it's your your soul or yourself more so than there actually being another force that's coming into your dream spe- dream area, whatever you want to call it, dream realm? Yeah, I mean, uh, Jung said that every person in our dream is part of ourselves communicating. But if we are in a different state, if we're not in the material world, then we are the all, right? We are connected because at the end of the day, every form of consciousness is connected to each other because it's part of the one uh, supreme consciousness. So it kind of doesn't matter. Having said that, I have had dreams where, uh, for example, my dead brother showed up or another figure showed up, and I knew that was not me because they had a, like, their, their essence, how I sensed it was completely different. What they communicated was very solid. It wasn't murky. It was like, da, da, I missed you, everything. You know, they said things that were very obvious and, uh, that only I, that, that, what I say, it was very concise what they said. They felt like them. They made promises that came true. So I do think there could be other sort of uh, more detached forms of consciousness or spirit that can come into your dreams and talk to you. But again, if we're all connected outside of time and space, what does it matter, right? True. <laughs> so we got kind of out there with some of these concepts, but say somebody was really interested in the conversation that they heard with us today. What would you recommend would be a good starting point for them as far as like books, uh, certain places to start looking for this information? Like where, where's a good starting point to start so somebody wouldn't get overloaded with these concepts that they're trying to just dip a toe and start to get into them? I'd say run away. Don't go there. Just run away <laughs> as fast as you can. Because no. <laughs> once you take the red pill, when Neo took the red pill, he didn't see a beautiful world. He saw a very, very nasty world. So it's uh, <clears throat> these old mystery religions, it always starts... Uh, whether it's the Eleusinian mysteries or others, you go down into hell first and you got to face all these demons and then you go up. And that's what, like when I do ayahuasca, you got to go through the worst parts before you can get to the good parts. So that's a journey that everyone has to take. And Gnosticism really is a mystery religion because again, it's that part of uh, that, those religions that satisfy those of us who want to take an inner journey, who want to understand the bigger questions in life, we don't find the answers, but we experience them. As sometimes it's not so much about getting the answers, it's about experiencing life, experiencing the mysteries. Uh, but for Gnosticism, I would say go to my website, thegodabovegod.com. And then in the menu, I do have a book section, which talks about uh, how you want to enter understanding Gnostic. Like I have a section, you want to enter uh, 
philosophical narcissism, introduction, uh, more meat and potatoes, big books, narcissism. I even have a section of Gnostic fiction uh, or even comic books like Grant Morrison's The Invisibles or Philip K. Dick's Valid. So I break it down in however you feel you want to enter it because sometimes it depends, you know. we all, It's like, uh, how did you get into, I don't know, david lynch or somebody like that you know we have different movies that were like oh this movie really got me into him so there's different entry points and it depends what you're ready for so i guess starting to wrap up towards the end one big question that nobody really knows the answer to but i like to ask just to get different people's opinion on it what do you believe may be the meaning of life i would say um there's that saying the meaning of life it's to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. I think that's simple. It's, uh, yeah, find out what your purpose is in this world. And again, not what your ego wants, being a rock star or having many girlfriends or driving a nice car or, you know, being the CEO of a company. Not what your ego wants, what your soul has in store for you. This could be very simple. It could be you write children's book. You work Saturdays at a kitchen soup. You're uh, the head of, you know, it's going to be something that is going to be so fulfilling, so satisfying, and it's going to make you feel full of bliss, and it's going to touch so many human beings and wake them up. Each of us has its purpose, and each of us has to fulfill this purpose to get to the other side. So I would say that's probably the meaning of life. So it's probably pretty similar to that, possibly for the answer. But uh, I always like to do words of wisdom from the guest to the listeners. So if there was any words of wisdom you could bestow on the listeners, what would it be? Well, I would say the uh, for everything I said, uh, it all comes down to the uh, Temple of Delphi dictum, which the Gnostics were very much. Know thyself. Very simple. Most of us don't know who we are. We are constructs. We are programmed. We are conditioned uh, by society, by our friends, by our parents, by the propaganda of uh, the government and mass media. So we have no idea who we are. We are living lies. We are robots. And that go- that is the antithesis of being a human being because as human beings, we are individuals and we each one of us has a unique gift and a unique purpose. So I would say the end and the beginning is know thyself. Now, how do you know yourself? Well, you're an individual, so your path is going to be an individual path. There is no listical or right way to do it. You're going to have to find out what works for you, what brings you bliss, what brings you ecstasy, what brings you purpose and makes you jump out of bed in the morning fulfilled and go to sleep with a clean conscience. I mean, for me, for example, it's... um, I enjoy uh, ayahuasca ceremonies, but I do dream journaling, meditation. I do walking meditation. I do the I Ching. I do a whole bunch of different magical rituals. But for other people, for you, it might be different. It might be ceremonial magic. It might be worshiping at a mosque. It might be, who knows, it might be Reiki or yoga. You need to find the, 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 the things that create a magical life for you and help you understand who you truly are. Once you find out who you are, that's the greatest 
discovery and adventure you're ever going to be on better than anything, because that's why you are here. True. So a little side question before we start closing it out. Um, meditation. It seems like everybody does it a different way. What is like your process of meditation and what do you <clears throat> perceive as meditation? Because some people like to just completely clear their head where they're not thinking of anything. Some people have the concept of letting the random thoughts in that pop in, but like, what, what's your concept? How do you meditate? Well, I remember, yeah, an alcoholics anonymous that used to tell me prayers, talking to God, meditating is listening to God. Now God is obviously you as uh, the Gnostics. You say, know thyself and you will know God because you're one and the same at the end of the day. So it's a it's a question of listening. So how do you go beyond your egoic self? And again, I just said it's different for everybody. When I meditate, I only have one thing. I really have one expectation, and that's to breathe. If I drop all my meditations and the thoughts and everything, it really doesn't matter because I don't think you can quiet the mind. That doesn't make sense. To be a human is to always be thinking, right? Sure. I don't think, yeah, our mind is like a, the Death Star. It just doesn't stop. <laughs> so uh, I would say uh, even uh, I have a friend, and he's been meditated for 20 years, very fulfilled. And he, I ask him, well, why do you meditate? He looks at me and goes, I meditate because I meditate. It's part of his being. It's part of his day. He, doesn't, he has no expectations. He has no goals. He just meditates, and everything when it works out, he does not, he's almost not, his ego's not even aware of it. So I would tell people, try different ones. Again, what works for you? Maybe it's Zen, maybe it's TM, maybe it's walking meditation, maybe it's uh, hypnosis is a great form of meditation, guided meditation. Try five minutes, try 10 minutes, try 20 minutes, you know, play with all these different meditations until you find what works for you. Because as individuals, we all have a unique spiritual constitution, thirst. So we all need to find what works for you. Don't let any religion or guru tell you this is the best way. The best way is what works for you. As long as you're seeking to know yourself, you'll find what uh, you'll find exactly the path you need to go through. I mean, even if you don't believe in the whole woo-woo concept with everything, it's still good to have the ability to know how to just sit and truly be in the moment. And I feel like people have lost touch with that, where everybody should meditate, even just for the aspect of just being able to sit and exist without outside stress and worry and just truly, truly get to be in the moment. Oh, I would agree. hundred percent right. Absolutely. So for anybody that enjoyed the conversation, uh, where do they come and find you at? Well, as I mentioned, my website is thegodabovegod.com. Uh, again, that's sort of a play that actually a uh, Orthodox theologian, Paul Tillich, came up because, again, there's the, the Demiurge that rules the universe, the creator God, and then above is the alien God. So thegodabovegod.com, or maybe they can type in Aeonbyte, A-E-O-N-B-Y-T-E, and my page will come up. And then I've got all, again, I've got the podcast, the section with the books, I've got my own books, I've got videos, uh, uh, social media, downloads, if you want to download some free PDFs. So there's a whole bunch of resources you can check out and uh, see about the whole Gnostic philosophy and theology thing. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. This has been a really educational conversation. 
And I'm looking forward to hopefully having you on in the future, digging into your website and learning even more about these concepts. And then maybe I can ask you some deeper questions. But again, thank you for being on, coming on the show. This was a really good conversation. Pleasure's all mine. Uh, for anybody that's sticking around, I hope you enjoyed the conversation and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody.